Welcome to the Hex Knight Podcast. I'm David. And I am Ivan. And uh, this is our first episode, and we are going to be talking about, or rather our podcast is all about tabletop gaming. Um, that could go from advice for players, game masters, or developers. Uh, we want to run the gamut of uh, what the tabletop experience is about. Uh, we're both older gamers, and we both have development experience. Um, I'm personally 42 years old. I've been into fantasy since my dad introduced me to Beowulf. I was like six years old. Uh, I've been reading fantasy since I could read. I've got a, a huge reading list, which would be a waste of time to, to go through and would make this insanely long. <laughs> and I just checked out a lot of different stuff. Lord of the Rings is in there. It's not the center of it. Um, my first gaming experience was actually kind of where I made up my own game because my parents would not get me like the red box set for a while. So I was like 10 or 11 and uh, everyone was talking about it in like the mid eighties. And so I realized, get some dice, get some paper and just, I, I made stuff up with my brother and I've been hooked ever since. Um, I have a background in computer science, a bachelor's of science degrees. So I've also delved a bit into game programming and I, I've, put together a, a couple different systems for uh, role-playing games with the standard of success that most indie developers um, have these days, which is not so great. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and then we have Ivan here, which he's got a, a great deal more experience. He's a developer of the five-core system, runs a Nordic Weasel Games. Uh, I'll let him take it from here. Yeah, so my name is Ivan. Um, I am 40 years old, so a half a lifetime statistically. Yeah. Uh, I started gaming probably around the same time or maybe slightly later. I know I was aware of fantasy literature and science fiction literature before gaming became a thing. Uh, my Honest start was probably like Lone Wolf and Fighting Fantasy game books. And I remember we tried to like improvise our own version of those by telling stories to each other that were all terrible. Um, and the other player had to like stop and choose from, from an option and eventually it would be just drop having specific options. You would just say what you wanted to do. And then later we realized that that was a thing that there were books about and you could buy. Um, so my gaming trajectory uh, looks something like um, starting with Drau o Demona, which was a Danish translation of the Swedish role-playing game based somewhat off RuneQuest. Uh, then Redbox D&D, uh, leading into Werewolf, The Apocalypse, Warhammer Fantasy role-playing, and then leading to all of the games when I was no longer a teenager who couldn't afford to buy. Uh, I have a wide-ranging interest in everything from the One Ring to Wushu. Um, but my love and joy tends to be gritty, hard um, simulation type of games, Harn or Rollmaster or RuneQuest or that sort of thing. Um, I do 
write and self-publish uh, primarily miniatures games, uh, aiming towards the solo gaming, especially nowadays, uh, with some role-playing stuff in there. Um, and we thought it would be fun and interesting to share our um, opinions and magnificent insights on a variety of topics. Um, so if you don't mind, I think we'll just sort of dive into the topic for the first episode, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I, I feel like there are a lot of new people coming into gaming these days. And I think we've, I personally feel like it, it would, we might be able to provide some resources for new gamers and some different ideas that uh, they're kind of outside of the, the, the standard paradigms kind of like D and D as kind of the center of the gaming universe. Um, uh, so, you know, I feel like with Ivan, uh, we've known each other for quite a long time and, uh, Gosh, I, I've been exposed to so many different games by him. I, I think I was kind of like a, a tester for a lot of his ideas about gaming. And um, I'm yeah, not such a rules wonk. <laughs> I think you still have credits in the uh, No End in Sight book. <laughs> nice. Uh, on that little round, like, two-by-two-foot kitchen table that was completely unsuitable for miniatures gaming. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you touched on something that I think um, is important. We want to, there's a lot of, right now, the like 10,000 ton gorilla in the RPG industry is obviously Dungeons and Dragons. Fifth edition is doing really well. It's super popular. Uh, Critical Role and all that stuff is super popular. Um, but I think it's also maybe sucked the air out of the room a little bit. Um, so we're going to focus this on role-playing as a whole, um, rather than maybe falling into the general idea that all RPG discussion is by default about and applicable to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so we're going to try to aim both explicitly talking about other games, uh, but also talking about concepts that are maybe not really specific to a particular game. Um, I think good advice, either as a player or as a GM, should be applicable to you know almost anything you sit down to play, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons, whether it's a different game, you know, cutting edge indie game or like an old '80s stalwart. Um, and worst case, even if the advice is bad, at least it's hopefully entertaining. So either way, it's a reasonable victory. Absolutely. I yeah, just I. It can be so refreshing to get away from just a, even the standard dice set of D and D, like. Mm -hmm. The D20 as the attack died. Like, having it just... It could be a revolutionary experience just to get away from dice all together and play a game with cards. Change up initiative. Because everyone is so caught up in in the mechanics. And that's one thing that, that personally drives me crazy is, is playing a game that's really dependent... Uh, uh, a role-playing game, especially, that's really dependent on on the mechanics, and you have people trying to min-max mechanics all the time, and that, I mean, essentially, you're playing like spreadsheets. <laughs> you know, it's it's well, like that that Linux game Progress Quest. <laughs> well, you're one person at the table who's there to win D and D. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think that's one thing we want to talk, kind of 
promote also is like, yeah, you, you don't win at role-playing games. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about strategy games definitely. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's Ivan's wheelhouse. There are, there are war games, which are great and they are really mechanically oriented and they are set up where one side wins and that can be really exciting. But yeah. even then I feel like there's a narrative flow to like the way military scenarios play out. And that, that's what I'm really interested in. And I think there's a lot of overlap. Um, so, you know, when I grew up in the group of friends that I sort of started gaming with, we just played everything we could get our hands on. We were ravenous. Um, and, you know, this is in the 80s in Denmark, so you couldn't get your hands on that much. Like, a lot of stuff right. just imported. But anything, you know, card games came out, board games, role-playing games, like LARPs. We wanted to try it at least once, and one more time just to make sure. <laughs> uh, and it was always a surprise to me later in life, learning that a lot of people only play, like, one kind of game. Um, it always puzzled me that you had like people who play role-playing games, but they don't play miniatures. And you have miniatures gamers who don't play board games. You have card gamers who don't play role-playing games. And it was always strange to me, because to me, it was, this is going to sound a little snooty, but it was always like self-evident to me that these games all had all these things in common, and they had all these overlaps and ways they interacted with each other. Um, so that's something that I think we would definitely love to... Uh, to dive into, like, how, you know, how do you add a little character to your war games session? How do you add a little, uh, what can war game, role players learn from military games or the other way around, you know? Like, there's a lot of these overlaps that don't get discussed, and I think being a little, you know, cross-culture, I don't know, cross-discipline, sure. <laughs> uh, can teach everyone an awful lot. Absolutely. Uh, but if we don't know yet if the podcast is going to succeed or fail, it's probably appropriate that our first topic is about failure. Namely, failure in role-playing games. What happens when it didn't go the way you wanted it? What does it even mean? So what I want to start with, and then we'll sort of dive into the conversation, is an article I read uh, recently talking about simulation games and games that are role-playing games that are meant to be more of a simulation of an ongoing world than necessarily like a story structure or like a very abstract game of mastery. Um, so a lot of sort of 80s style gaming tends to kind of fall into that. Um, and one thing that really stood out to me that I thought was kind of stuck with me since uh, was uh, the guy was saying that if you're failing, if your character fails because of a dice roll, why do we view that as a failing of the player? Your plan was fine, but the dice weren't with you. That shouldn't mean that, you know, there's a tendency of like, oh man, I screwed up the entire party's plan because I didn't make the attack roll I needed. Now everything else didn't work. But is that a reasonable way to look at it? You know, like what did you do wrong as a player because you rolled a 14 instead of a 15? Sure. I mean, it just adds flavor to the scenario when you when your plans go wrong i mean you're you're dealing with a conflict that's a huge part of any sort of story i mean mm-hmm. like role playing is uh, collaborative storytelling so i mean if everything just goes the way you expect then where is the conflict like to me that's i'm not a fan of power gaming um you know setting up characters at high level that goes back to that like spreadsheet mechanical thing that you should expect 
to fail and to have like really powerful enemies. Like that's one thing I that bugs me about like new D and D, and the whole thing with like challenge ratings. Like I never back when I was in high school, we never put that in games. Like one of my favorite things to do was to like set up certain scenarios where you try to go one way and the force arrayed against you is overwhelming. It's like, are you guys crazy enough to try to take this on? You know, like forcing people to run away uh, once in a while is really fascinating and enjoyable because it builds the tension and excitement in the room. Well, I think there's also an aspect to it. Um, there's this idea that when you're jamming a game, you should sort of be perpetually adjusting what's happening to the players. So mm -hmm. every time they have a hard time of it, you should make it a little bit easier. Maybe I'm going to just remove a couple of guys that were supposed to show up as reinforcements, even though my note shows they were going to. Or the other way around, like the players bulldoze the encounter, and, well, maybe I'm going to beef up. Like, it turns out that the bad guy was actually a dragon all along, and, ah, now it's a big fight. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of times that can sort of... Um, undersell like your work as a GM like I think often I think you're going to have a better experience um, planning out what you think are you know here's if it's you're crawling around like an old ruin because the player get like the magical herbs to heal the princess right <laughs> so you populate your ruin with like things that are there there's a bandit gang that are hanging out in one corner uh, there's an angry like bear monster in another corner um, there's like a cursed well that has undead in it. Like, okay, so we have three encounters that the players might run into, or they might not. Um, they can negotiate with the bandits, they can run away from the bear monster, and hopefully we brought, like, a hammer and stake to uh, deal with the undead, right? <laughs> but let's say they have the first encounter, and the players just wipe out the bandits. They come up with a plan to ambush them, they roll in, and before you roll three dice, the bandits are all, like, dead or running away. Wouldn't it be better jamming in that case to let them have the victory? Like, they earned it. Whether they earned it through just being lucky and, you know, hey, everyone can cheer for a good roll, or because their plan was pretty good and it just kind of negated the encounter. You don't need to, I think, add, like, oh, okay, but actually the bandits have, like, three iron golems in a box to make it, like, a correctly challenging encounter. Um, or vice versa, they pick a fight with a bear monster, and it turns out that they just don't have what it's going to take, and the bear monster is going to trundle them. You know, like, let that... Don't go in and suddenly, like, adjust his hit points down to half. I think, again, that's undermining, like, the story of what's happening. Let them come up with a solution. You know, maybe they throw... You can throw food to the monster, and maybe that distracts it. Maybe they just run away. Maybe they lure it over to the bandits and he eats them, you know? But I think this idea that the GM should be perpetually, like, editing for the to match this, like, perfectly level, like, difficulty of always seems challenging, but it isn't really, because if something goes wrong, then we're going to just tweak it a little bit. I think that can undermine, like, the experience of the game, maybe? Like, for me, that if I realize the GM is doing that, I end up kind of losing, losing interest a little bit. In a D&D &D game uh, where... I know we're going to talk about it, but in this case, it was literally D&D, so I'm going to have to uh, pretend it's a different game called Bungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> and th throughout the campaign up to that point, everything had been played fairly straight. Um, dice rolls were plainly visible, and things had happened. 
and we get in a fight. It's a fight we weren't, quote, meant to. It was sort of a side thing. We were there to pick up a guy, but being dumb and enthusiastic, we decided to throw ourselves in and attack the, like, lieutenant of the enemy army. Uh, not something that we were really meant to, and this guy was like an army in its own. You could trash us completely. To make it worse, the party split up. Two characters went to do one thing, and two characters went to challenge this guy. So it was a recipe for disaster, right? And it turned out it was. And we got to the critical moment. The bad guy like cast a spell, which kind of decimates the two characters that are fighting him. And you could hear the moment the GM chokes. Because they realize that if they continue this, then those two characters are going to be dead. And that is the moment the GM realized that what they thought in their head was going to be this open-ended um, com come-what-may campaign was actually a heavily story-driven campaign that relied on specific characters being connected to specific groups. So it raised a really interesting question. You know, if you're at that point, what do you do? Do you let it go? And maybe you just like cut off an entire arc of your campaign because that's how it worked out? Or do you realize that you're kind of running the wrong game and you do you let the character live or get away well i mean what do you think about that uh just that that balance of or how how do you maintain a story driven campaign and yet give players freedom uh to really do what they want and i guess break things or how how would you manage that well, that's a, I think I, a lot of it, I think, comes down to what sort of game you sit out to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, because the moment of clonk happened because what we thought was happening wasn't actually the game that we were playing. And it didn't become clear to anyone until that moment uh, where suddenly, like, the game that we were actually playing, which turned out to be this like long story-driven, character-driven thing, was in danger of breaking because we had gone to do something that seemed reasonable, but we didn't do it very well, and now we're crashed. And the bad guy could wail damage faster than the characters in question could get out or heal or escape. Um, and maybe in the same boat, I would do the same thing, uh, but I think that's the point where you have to sit down afterwards and say, okay, this has played out way differently. Um, so going forward, maybe we're adopting, you know, a thing from television shows, you know, characters get captured or taken prisoner, you know, that's a perfectly valid means of defeat, right? Sure. Or maybe you say, okay, this wasn't what I was subconsciously pushing it towards, but we're gonna stick to it. Like, you just got railed with a thousand points of damage because you picked a fight with half the party and it's so sad but now the pl the remaining players and the replacement characters are going to have to figure out how to patch the holes up like how do we make those contacts back that we just lost how do we regain the progress or do we have to find a different angle you know like i think you can be flexible with it but i think it really nails down that you know you have to have a clear idea of the of what kind of campaign you're running and what kind of campaign the players think you're running, right? For sure. I, to me, that's one of the most interesting aspects of playing tabletop games is that 
like there it's not like a TV show or a video game. You aren't like hemmed in to following a course. That that's happened to me like as the GM as a player so many times. Like there's kind of hints of what you might be expected to do, <laughs> but you can do whatever you want. And mm. so like we you know, people always always choose like the, the path that the game master doesn't expect or starts to fight with the person the game master doesn't expect. And so there's always, it's, it's like the, it can be, or at least, I don't know, maybe it's the people I've played with, but part of the, it's kind of like this patched together crazy mess of events. Yeah. I mean, I think it can take a lot of different forms, right? Like I think that's sort of semi-emergent campaign where the GM might have some ideas and threats that are going on and occasionally you pull on those threats and occasionally you just want to go over and check out that ruin that's on the map because it's been there the whole game and we're going to go kick down the door, right? Right. You know, um, but I think it's also, like I've been in campaigns that were very tightly structured. There was a specific, it was almost like, I don't want to say it was like playing through a book or a story, but it was a little bit, that makes sense. Like the story beats were set in place, but how we acted within each chapter was up to us. And it sounds very uh, derogatory when you explain it like that, but it was still fun. But the important thing was we came into it knowing that's how it was going to go. We were going to be playing fairly specific characters in fairly specific circumstances. And the game was about how your character reacts to those things, um, as opposed to wandering about the wilderness and having a free reign in what we did. Um, but that also means you're, you know, you paint off a lot of things. Like there's a lot of avenues you can't do. And it, again, brings up the question of what happens if we fail at doing the thing we were supposed to be doing? You know, if the right. adventure. If the adventure depends on us of rescuing the princess, what happens if during the battle the tower explodes? <laughs> you know, do you roll with it and say, okay, well, that's cool, but now you're outlaws and like every knight in the country wants to kill you for your bounty. Uh, did you say the princess got magically flung out of the castle and she's okay? Um you know, like, that's a moment where as a GM, you're going to have to think about, like, what does it mean when the players fail at something? And what happens if you've gotten yourself in a situation where that failure could break my game? You know? Yeah, well, I, I think you just kind of laid it out, though, um, with, like, those alternatives. And to me, that that's why, like, tabletop role-playing is work. You know, mm -hmm. the, there's the time it takes to make the character. The GM puts, like, two to four times as much time putting together their campaign. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's where the magic happens, where it's like the princess dies or things go wrong in that scenario, and it just switches the whole paradigm. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, that like you become, like, the outlaw of the kingdom. To me, that's awesome. Yeah, we're playing like evil Robin Hood all along. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but part of the oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. It it just like it makes the world like when it 
so there are real consequences that change the world and you're all kind of working together through that scenario and again like that that's incredibly fascinating or or having just seeing like how the pieces go together or break each other mm -hmm. i think that also ties into the fear players often get a failure um and it actually ties into um, a concept that you'll see a lot online. Um, but I think a lot of people get afraid of failure because we've all had a game uh, with a bad GM where it's like, <laughs> well, I'm trying to knock down the door. And like, okay, it's a roll for strength. And you roll for strength and you fail. And you're like, okay, well, can I open the door in some other way? Nope. Well, can I try again? Nope. Well, can I, you know, and you realize you just kind of stuck. Like the classic example is like from old like investigation scenarios. Like a lot of old Call of Cthulhu scenarios have this, where it's like, when the players enter this location, have them roll for whatever, search, to see if they find the evil book. And the players all roll, and none of them make it. And this concludes section one of episode one of the Hex Knight podcast. We uh, greatly appreciate uh, people stopping by and listening to our, our first episode, and hopefully it's doesn't suck too bad and you've been somewhat entertained by, yep. by uh, what we've got going on here and you might check it out next time. If it does suck, we offer a 100% money back guarantee. Whatever you paid when you downloaded this episode of the podcast from the World Wide Web as you were surfing, we will give you all of that back. <laughs> In a little <laughs> we'll mail to your house. Now, right. what other podcast offers you that guarantee? <laughs> My answer is none of them. Since I have a uh, cruel commercial interest, um, take this moment to just mention a couple of projects that I'm working on as part of Nordic Weasel Games. Um, I am currently working and mostly finished with the update to Renegade Scout. And if you don't know what Renegade Scout is, it is a love letter slash remake remaster of the original Warhammer 40,000. Um, this is a completely insane project, but it happened. It was pretty good. But there's a bunch of extra content that could be put into it. So I put it to the fan base that if you want all this extra stuff, you send me a bunch of money and I'll make it happen. And so the people did send me a bunch of money and now I'm making it happen. Uh, so the new book should be available uh, at the end of the month, hopefully. It will be a free download. Um, if you purchase the original, you get the updated one automatically. It will include improved army building, scenarios, a bunch of old scenarios. Also hopefully happening this month, but we'll see is the fantasy expansion to Night Pike and Sword. If you read those rules and noticed that I slipped a bunch of King Arthur stuff in there and thought you wanted Ratman and Elves, well, you're going to have Ratman and Elves. Um, it'll be an expansion to the base game, and it'll be super cool. Uh, and finally, while I don't know if it'll work out yet, I am tinkering with an RPG for a Robin Hood-style sort of television adventure gaming. Uh, see, it was topical. Uh, called of the Longo for now, um, and once it is done, or it's done enough to have a public beta test, that will show up on drive through. Maybe as a pay what you want, maybe for a couple bucks, I'm not sure how that's going to work. Um, it'll be sort of a minimalist game about playing sort of television medieval heroes fighting the big bad guy. Um, so that will be good times. That's the big things that are going on right now. Uh, where can people check out your games? What's the uh, URL? You can swing to the Wargame Vault in, on the 
list of companies that are uh, have sold out enough to appear on the uh, list on the left side in the menu under publishers, just go to Nordic Weasel Games and start clicking around. Um, there are role-playing games, there's a lot of miniatures games for all kinds of stuff. Um, you're welcome to hit me up on email. It is nordicweaselgames at icloud.com. If you have questions or you're trying to figure something out, um, I'm happy to help and assist. Great. And uh, Wargamer's Vault, that's just wargamersvault.com? Uh, it is wargamevault.com. It is the Wargame Vault. It is the miniatures section of Drive Through RPG. A couple of my items do show up in Drive Through, uh, but they are ones that are specifically RPG related. So if you're looking for five parsecs or five leaks from the Borderlands, that stuff tends to show up on Drive Through when I remember listing it correctly. Um, it doesn't matter which site you are purchasing from, though. Uh, everything is shared and it all goes to the same back end. So that is the best places. If you want to follow my musings on topics, mostly surrounding games, uh, you can visit the Five Men in Normandy blog on Blogger, although I am hoping to migrate that away. That is it. I think um, go out and run games that aren't bad and stop gaming with beef. He doesn't even bring pizza. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And again, you can check out Ivan's games at wargamevault.com and it's Nordic Resolver.